0: taken, isn't it? But then we're very complex, and uh, life is complex, and the spirit realm is complex. So, I want to share some uh, just this, this area of teaching today, just uh, in the journey of this school uh, to do with our identity in Christ and our or our the believers' standing in Christ and the authority in Christ. Uh, very important, very important area if you're going to be ministering and deliverance to people, you need to know who you are. Uh, just as Mike said earlier, the seven sons of Skeva, as mentioned in uh, is it in, in Ephesians, is it or whichever book it is, uh, the guys, the guys, you know, Jesus, we're trying to invoke the name of Jesus, somebody they weren't actually in relationship. The demons manifested in the guy. Paul, we know, Jesus, we know, but who are you? Beat them up, all seven of them. <laughs> they ran down the road naked and bleeding. It really appeals to me, that story. It's just such a funny story. And uh, I remember lying, ending up on my back one day, uh, ministering to this guy. Another guy, a friend of mine and I were ministering to this guy who was, had a lot of violence and rage in his life. And unfortunately, I shut my eyes for just a moment. And, and I was standing beside him, I shut my eyes. I never do that now. And he just, he, just, he just stuck his foot out like this and went like that. And I went flip on my back like that on a hard floor but it had carpet on it and I felt a little bit winded and my shirt was, buttons were ripped and I leapt up off the ground and I immediately crossed my mind seven sons of, of, of Sceva, you know. And, and my friend, my friend he, he was upside down in a, in a lazy boy chair, uh, exactly the same. It all happened in an instant like that. And uh, so that story is quite, quite real to me. We got him free by the way, he, he got free. And uh, But it was really funny, very, very funny. So we're going to look at our, uh, our standing in Christ, uh, our authority in Christ. Unless you know your identity, you can't claim your inheritance. Identity and inheritance are completely connected. I don't know if you remember Downton Abbey. How many were addicted to Downton Abbey? And, one, and who many, how many were grieved when Matthew died? How many took a week or two to get over that? You know, How many remember the guy who came in to the household who, who was trying to convince them that he was some lost relative, uh, and because if, it, if they had agreed that he was that relative, he could have claimed the inheritance that was on offer. And, but the, the guy wasn't able to convince them enough that he was actually the guy. He did a very good job of it, but in the end, they said, no, he's not the son. And the reason he was trying to convince them because he, if he convinced them of his identity, he was going to be able to claim an inheritance. One of the things the enemy wants to do to us or for us or to hinder us is to hinder us in the, revel- the growing revelation of our identity as sons of God. And I say this to ladies and to men. It's got nothing to do with our gender. It has everything to do with the relationship, the nature of the relationship and the nature of the inheritance. We are sons of God. We're all sons of God through Christ, etc. But then of course, we're, we're part of the bride of Christ. So it all balances up in the end. Okay, so I'm going to just run through some scripture. Uh, we're going to look first at what was Jesus' mandate when it came to deliverance. Number, and Mike's been covering some of this, but a double up and some overlap won't be unhelpful. I think it'll be helpful. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I think you've got to run a run of scriptures there, haven't you? Fantastic. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus knew exactly what he was here for, exactly what he was about, and it focused his ministry. Then we have in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, Uh, 1 John 3 verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Uh, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus was very uh, focused on what he was here to do, what he was here to minister into people's lives, very focused. He had a mandate. We know that his mandate was to seek and save that which is lost to seek the lost sheep of Israel, and so on. He was very clear on his mandate. As I've got older, I've become clearer and clearer on my mandate. And I've been able to put myself into Luke 4.18. You can put yourself into Luke 4.18 because the same spirit that was on Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, who anointed Jesus is the very same spirit that we've received, the very same spirit that on, that was on us. And in John chapter uh, uh 17 verse six, he said, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so if you notice our foundation stone out here, those two passages are on there. Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he's anointed us, so on and so forth. And as you've sent, as you've sent me into the world, so I send you into the world. So I know, and you can know, if you don't know already, that you actually have a mandate from heaven. You have a, you have a, Commission from heaven, a co mission that is actually releasing you to bring freedom to captives, opening of the eyes of the blind, to set at liberty those who are bruised, to help heal the brokenhearted. That's part of our mission, that's part of our mandate as believers. We're not churchgoers. Say after me, I am not a churchgoer, I am a child of God with a mandate. I have a co-mission with Jesus to minister His power and grace into this world. I am a missionary in my world. I am a kingdom ambassador in my world. And that's going to vary for everybody. There are people that you know that I'll never know. There are people that I know that you may never know. My mission is to love the people around me and to minister the grace of God to the people around me. I will meet people that you will never meet and vice versa. So you cannot have quite the same mandate as me in that regard because you are sent to different people. Amen? And that takes the weight off because it's your world. It's who you're sent to. It's who you're associating with. So that then we come into this passage where uh, Uh, Mike referred to earlier on as well but Matthew chapter 12 verse 28 says this, but if I Matthew 12, 28 to 30, but if I cast out demons uh, by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Unless first he binds the strong man and then will plunder his house. He who is not With me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So, the context of this, as we know, was in the context where Jesus ministered to a person, and then the Pharisees were accusing him of doing it by the power of Beelzebub or the power of Satan. And of course, Jesus points out very correctly that if Satan drives out Satan, then it's a house divided, and a kingdom can, and that house cannot stand. And so he points out that if one who is stronger comes along and binds the strong man, which of course in my understanding is Jesus has come to bind the strong man, which is Satan, then those who work with him and partner with him can plunder Satan's house, plunder Satan's kingdom. We can partner with Jesus and actually be plundering that kingdom of darkness. And Jesus said, if you're not going to gather with me, or if you're not going, how did he say it? If you're, um, and then he can plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. So if, we, if we're going to really partner with Jesus, sooner or later, we're gonna be involved in plundering the house of the one who's been bound. Amen? Right. There are people caught in darkness, you and I are called to rescue and to bring into the kingdom of light. Isn't that awesome? This is what we get to do. It's the, it's the most fun thing on earth. It's the, it's the most satisfying thing on earth. Jesus dealt with Satan's, Satan's authority to hold people captive. Now his house or his kingdom can be plundered and we are the plunderers. Look to the person next to you and say, good to be sitting beside a fellow plunderer. Good to be sitting beside a, narrow, a, a fellow plunderer. You're a plunderer of hell. You're a plunderer of the kingdom of darkness. This is part of our mandate. We're taking people who have been captive in darkness and pain and suffering out of that pain and suffering into the kingdom of light where they can really know what love really is and know the freedom of being themselves, themselves more fully. Just so awesome. So Jesus was very clear on his mandate. And he knew the authority he had to do the things he did. Disciples' mandate, we see in, in the sending of the 12, Matthew chapter 10, verse 58, 5, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was the first phase of the mandate. And as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely have received, freely give. So this actually is the mission of the church. Cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, but sometimes the church thinks this is the exception that this is on the edge of the Christian world. No, it's not, it's the very center. The river of God is the center. The river of God is what flows from the throne. You and I have received a river coming into us, and now that Holy Spirit in us flows out of us. He said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The river of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost flowing, is not the fringe of Christianity, it's the center. Everything else that is powerless and relatively meaningless and tickles the ears of hearers is the fringe. The true center is the kingdom of God. The true center is the river of God. The true center is the flowing and the power of Holy Spirit. That's the true center of Christianity. Hear what I'm saying? It's all centered in Christ. All about the mission, the identity, the sonship, the, 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 the reconciliation to the Father, the, the, the offering of the, the, the gift or the invitation to reconciliation through faith in Christ. It's all about the river of God, it's all about the kingdom and the natural outflow of the flowing of the power of the Holy Ghost in us and the authority of Jesus is the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the casting out of demons, etc., etc. That's the natural flow. Everything else really is, I'm gonna say this, yes I am, is substandard. It's actually sub-Christian. But we've been so used to sub-Christianity, we thought that sub-Christianity was normal. But God has been trying to restore his family, re-empower his family, get his family positioned for the greatest harvest the world is ever gonna know, And as Mike has pointed out, there's gonna be a lot of deliverance that he needs his church powered up and understand how to flow in the river and flow in their authority and move in their identity because the harvest absolutely needs you and I to be equipped. That's why we're doing this. Why we're doing this. A bored Christian is somebody who's living a substandard spirit life somebody who's engaged in the Holy Ghost, engaged in the kingdom. There's no boredom in that because life is an adventure. There's always a challenge just around the corner. Whether you want that challenge or not, it's just around the corner. So the 12 were sent out with a very clear mandate. The kingdom and no... and, and we're told exactly what to do. The seven, I, I will try and share this and not preach it. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was wanting to share this more in a teachy mode. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I just, I'll just try to. So Luke chapter 10, <laughs> verse 1 to 2. In the New King James Version. <laughs> Verse 1. After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also. See some people have forgotten that there were 70 sent out. They only think about Jesus' followers as being the 12. 12 apostles. But there were 70 he sent out the next time. Some some people have the uh, have the understanding that the first twelve is like symbolic of the twelve tribes of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel, if you like. But they had an understanding that there were seventy nations of the world, or seventy original nations, that every other nation basically came out of came out of those original seventy. That's an understanding that some some have. It's, if it's true, it's wonderful. If it's not, it's still a nice thought. Preaches well. <laughs> <laughs> So here's, here's a possibility that G- Jesus sends 12 out to, to the tw- to, representing like to the 12 tribes, but he sends 70 out, which was also symbolic and prophetic, that he's going to be sending the, sending the disciples out to the whole world. It's a possibility that's true. But he sent them out with a mandate. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before, the face of, into, before his face into every city and every place where he himself was about to go. Wow. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he thrusts out laborers. Then in verse nine of that same chapter, he says this, and heal the sick, and say to them the kingdom of god has come near to you now there's no direct reference to casting out demons but when we when the 70 come back which we, we see recorded in verse 17 of the same chapter when the 70 return with joy then the 70 return with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name so either it just wasn't recorded the fact that Jesus said cast out demons or the 70 just understood it was part of the parcel and you're not gonna heal the sick without at least at some stage casting out demons as well. But when they came back, they were excited that the demons were subject to them in his name. And that's, as Mike said, it's a great day when you're ministering and there's some deliverance and some people get free or somebody gets free. It just, it just, it just lights you up. So man, join in the fun. Join join in the fun. Join in the fun. My friend from Africa was uh, I feel like a pig in mud. You know. So we have this commissioning of the twelve, the commissioning of the seventy, and then we have the commissioning. I'm talking about your authority. We have govern we have government ministers. We call them ministers. Minister of finance, minister of this, minister of that, minister of transport, minister of disarmament. We're doing exactly the opposite right now. We are the ministry of armament. Oh, goodness. And so a minister is responsible for the administration of resources. That have been put under his oversight and jurisdiction. You come into Christ, you, you baptized into him, you are a minister of the gospel. And you've been put, you've you've been you've got resources that are put into your hands to administer what the gospel is for. You've you've got resources that have been given to you to administer because you are a minister of the kingdom. Now, the jurisdiction changes. The the sphere of influence is different for every person. The the locality can be different for every person. The the level of maturity and faith is different for every person. But nevertheless, there is a jurisdiction that God has intended for you and I to be a minister of and with kingdom resources that are at our disposal to minister the very purposes and the mission of the king. We are ministers. Get that? Do you, you, connect, you connect with that in some way? And I'm, so I'm talking about your authority as a believer. Because every believer has a level of authority that is particular to them in terms of their calling and position and role, so on and so forth. But every person has a fundamental authority because you're in Christ. We wanna look at that a little bit. So in Matthew 28, verse 18, we see that Jesus came and spoke to them saying, just before he ascended, just before he ascended, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Where was Adam's authority? Where was the first Adam's authority? On earth, right? On earth. He had jurisdiction over the earth. Where's the last Adam or the second Adam, the the the, the, the head of the new creation, where's his realm of authority? On heaven, in heaven, and on earth. We haven't actually been restored to the level of the first Adam. We've been been included in Christ, which is a higher authority because it's a dimension that is in heaven and it's a a dimension that is on earth. It's It's a bigger deal. It's a bigger deal. And so... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's my understanding of this, that the fundamental issue was that those first disciples received the teaching, the understanding, the revelation, the commission on our behalf. And the role of every generation of true disciples of Jesus is to pass on what they've learned, pass on what Jesus has taught them them so that the next generation is empowered. Now the devil got in and brought interruption through religiosity and, and, and power games and politicizing the church and all that sort of thing to try and diminish it down to where it was a situation that had very little power moving in it and, and some pretty unfortunate things. But for quite a while now, the Holy Ghost has been working a restoration process for the church. So the church actually comes back into the place where it is operating in the anointing and the power that it was originally sent out to operate in where all of the truths that were taught to those first disciples are now being restored to the church, so we actually get to operate and move in them as though there'd been a, there'd been no gap. Do you get that? So their commission was to teach the, the next to teach the people that were converted everything they'd been taught. So every generation of converts uh, were to teach the next generation everything they'd been taught. So down through the generations, there was to be a passing of revelation and understanding and instruction and commandment whereby every generation potentially would have a move of God where every generation would have a harvest. But we're coming to the culmination of the ages now where above everything else, the church has got to be empowered in the knowledge of its identity and the knowledge of its authority because we're plundering hell, we're plundering the house that Jesus disempowered or bound the strong man of. We're either gonna be plunderers or we're not. So deliverance and ministering and deliverance in some way is for everybody. So here's a major key to comprehending the authority you stand in in Christ the first three chapters of Ephesians is is an essential study for every believer. Those first three chapters of Ephesians properly by the revelation that Paul had by the Holy Ghost lifts up who Jesus is and what he's done and then it lifts up who the believer is and who he is or who he or she is in Christ. The fact that Jesus was was crucified, dead and buried and resurrected and ascended, so the believer who comes into him is co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected and has co-ascended and is co-seated in Christ. All of those revelations about who we are now is in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Beautifully outlined, beautifully stated. All the co-language is there in Ephesians. It's very, very important language. If you've, been baptized, if you've come to Christ and you've been baptized into Christ, you've been baptized into who he is. You've been baptized into his name. And you've become clothed with Christ. You've been, we've become clothed with the very anointing that was on Jesus. We are in him. We, we don't, we don't, that's why, we, that's why when it comes to deliverance, we're not asking the Father to do it. Because we're in Christ. And, we were, and when we're standing and commanding in Jesus' name, it's as though Jesus is there commanding those things to go. Because we're in him. But when that, I, when that understanding isn't there, and we've somehow got to call on God who's over there somewhere and somehow get his power to move on behalf and, and, and there's not the confidence there and the demons know it. My very first experience in deliverance, because I, many, many, many years ago, I, I wasn't that clear on whether a Christian could have a demon or not. I'd somehow picked up the idea that maybe Christians couldn't really have demons because how could darkness and light dwell together? What, how would the Holy Spirit dwell in the same person where a demon dwells? And I, I just, you know, I didn't have, it, didn't have it understood. But here ministering to this person or attempting to minister to this person who was, who was a spirit-filled, born-again, tongue-talking, vision-seeing believer— who had showed evidence of their discipleship to Jesus, the change in that person's life. So I'm not talking about somebody who, well, may not have really been saved. This person was saved. And in attempting to deliver this person from whatever it was, I had another, another person was helping who was more experienced in it than me. And I was trying to, and this person, this, this vo- the voice spoke out of this person and said, you can't cast me out because you don't even believe I'm here. And I knew they were right. But who, who's talking to me right now? It was a different voice. So it created a dilemma in my theology. And it was a generational issue, actually. And so I've had, I've had a, a reasonable number of experiences now with significant transformation in a person's life where it turned out to be a generational spirit. And so I have discussions with people who don't believe a Christian can have a generational spirit. Because surely that can't be the case. Because wasn't it all dealt with when they got converted? And I said, Well I'd said to one person, because they were quite a senior person, quite you know, and I said, Well, if I believe if I believe what you believe, my daughter could be dead. A wee bit confronting. But that was the case. So if our theology theology isn't broad enough to allow the resources of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension to come through our lives to bring the kingdom of God and to deliver somebody, then our theology is too narrow. And it's our theology that needs to expand to fit what Jesus actually did rather than actually narrow down what Jesus did. But confronting, I like confronting. I usually try and do it nicely. But when it comes to life and death situations, we've got, we've, got, we've got to be set free from some of the narrowness of our misunderstandings. Because sometimes people's lives depend on it. So in, Corinthian, uh, so in, in, those, in those chapters of Ephesians, those, those, those first chapters of Ephesians, uh, you'll see the, the language of the fact that we are immersed into Christ we are baptized into Christ. He who was baptized into Christ has put on Christ. We're no longer that old creature in the image and in the inheritance line of the first Adam, which was an inheritance of separation and eventual damnation. We're now, we've been, trans, we've been trans, transferred out of that kingdom into the kingdom of the son of his love. And now by his grace, by his action, through faith, and now we stand in a new inheritance line. It's the inheritance line of the last Adam, the Christ, the beginning of the new creation, the firstborn from among the dead, the one who would bring many sons to glory. So we stand on that inheritance line now. See, once, once, once your heart takes a hold of this, once your heart takes a hold of this and, and it becomes part of you, who you know you are, then when something manifests in front of you, 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 you're 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 approaching that thing or you're facing that thing as a son of God, as somebody clothed in Christ, somebody who's been mandated by heaven to confront that thing and to set that person free. And so you're standing in identity as a son of God. I'll say a daughter of God as well. But in, in terms of inheritance, it's a son of God because you have the inheritance of Christ. Identity is huge. It's been a huge Holy Ghost theme now for a few decades, or well, longer than that, but it's become more expanded in the last few decades and more people are talking about it. But it's not based on sentimentality. It's based on the legal rights of what the blood has purchased for us. What Jesus did with that blood when he went into that heavenly tabernacle not made with hands and he sprinkled his blood on the heavenly mercy seat, the one that the earthly one was just a copy of. And he established forever the legal, the legal basis for our new identity is new creation beings who are clothed in Christ and one spirit with him and now are living stones being built together to form a heavenly, a, a spiritual house in which you can occupy with the fullness of his presence. I tell you what, you're not just, you're not just an ordinary Christian. There's no such thing. I'm talking about your identity in Christ, your new believer stand, your new creation standing. The authority you have in Him is from heaven. It's not from you. It's not from me. It's from heaven. And we stand as as sons and sons of God, and we can address things in the spirit realm that are tormenting people. And that's our right. And that's our privilege. And that's our joy. It really is our joy. In 2 Corinthians 5, 5, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old order and the old original Adam, the Adamic order, has passed away. You're no longer strangers to the covenants of God, you're no longer in this world without hope. You're a new creation. And so that new creation in him has authority to walk on the earth as a son of God. And the demons know whether you know that. They do. They simply do. And it's one of the big challenges, as Mike mentioned, that oftentimes oftentimes the demonic realm knows Jesus better than the church. Sometimes the demonic realm knows you better than you do yourself. And Jesus said, for the children of darkness are more skillful in their things sometimes than the children of light. Words to that effect. So my passion is not only to discover who I am in him through revelation, but also to help other people discover who they are in Christ and actually become really effective ministers of the kingdom of God. Because man, you are such a threat to darkness. You are such a threat. You are such a threat. If, if, if the enemy can't stop us from getting born again, then he might try and stop us understanding who we are. Because when you know who you are, and it's not of yourself, it's of him, because you're his workmanship, then you become a major threat. You become worth attacking. You become worse, worth trying to mess with. But through the word of God, we have revelation that can help us stay free of that deception. And so moving along, to give you hope. So we don't judge ourselves according to the old order of things. Therefore, we don't judge each other as fellow believers according to the old order of things. The person you're sitting beside is a miracle. The person you're sitting beside is a miracle. The person you're sitting beside is a miracle. They're a miracle of God's workmanship. So we don't judge each other according to the old flesh standards, not according to the old Adamic deal. We're in Christ now. We have authority. We have dominion. We've been commissioned. We've been given a mandate. In Galatians 3:26, verse 29 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ, Christ Jesus. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Passion Translation says this, you have all become true children of God by faith in Jesus, the anointed one. And it was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one. And now you are covered, and clothed with his anointing and we no longer see ourselves in our former state. Wow. Because when you're confronting something that's manifesting in a person's life and thoughts are coming against your mind, it wants to try and get you into believing that you're you're just that old creature. What authority do you have? You don't even believe I'm here. what authority do you have? I'll tell you what authority we have. We have all authority that has been given to us in Christ, and that manif- that is released to us according to our mandate, and according to what we're called to do. But all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel, to administer the things of heaven into situations around us. Wow. And so it's a transition from being self-conscious to being Christ, Christ in us conscious and us in him conscious. It's a very different consciousness. And I'm not talking about the new Agey idea of Christ consciousness as it was a load of rubbish. It's the true in Christ being centered in him, knowing that we're in him, of him, born again in him, new creations in him, anointed with grace, one spirit with him, and have free access now to the resources of heaven to bring them to earth. It's very powerful. Moving along, how do we we know we have authority? Let's let's look at the power of the signet ring, power of the ring that was placed on Joseph's hand. This is very important. Uh, When Joseph, you know the story of Joseph and sold into slavery and pot of his house and being accused of molesting his wife and he knew jolly well she was an adulteress, and he knew he, he, he that's why he didn't kill him. He had him put in prison, save face. But at the end of the day, Potiphar knew what his wife was, the kind of thing she was up to. And But anyway, he prospers in prison, and then eventually, of course, he's taken out of prison, and in a day uh, made prime minister of Egypt. Incredible fulfillment of dreams that God give, had given him in one day. And in the process, because he had, he had, he had, he had told Pharaoh his dream and then interpreted the dream and the seven years of famine, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and all that sort of thing. The Pharaoh says, apart from the things of my throne or the throne, uh, you're in charge of the things of Egypt. Apart from things of my throne. There were certain things that he, he, he couldn't do, but there was a lot he could do. And any deal he did, was now going to be authorised by the king's ring. So the, the Pharaoh took off his ring, gave it to jo- Joseph. Joseph put that, had that ring on his finger. And from then on, Joseph was able to do all sorts of business in the realm of Egypt to make provision for the seven years of, plague, of, of uh, famine, to extend the realm of Pharaoh, to extend his wealth and his territories, all of that because he'd been given the ring. The ring was a signet ring, okay? We got that? We got the picture of that, right? A signet ring. Now we come down to where Jesus is telling the story of the two sons and his father. The one son that goes off, asks for the inheritance, after a few days goes off, wastes it all, comes to himself, comes to his senses, comes home, uh, wanting to just be made a, a hired servant so he get his belly full and so on. But the father rushes out to meet him, embraces him, Uh, There's exchange goes on, and then he says to the servant, get get the best robe, get the ring put on his finger, and put sandals on his feet. And so we understand culturally that that ring that was put on the son's finger was the signet ring, which enabled him to go about his father's business, to buy property, to do all sorts of things, do business deals to extend the realm of the father's house. So this is a beautiful picture, not only with Joseph and with the, the returning son of the fact that in Christ now, because he is the head of the church and we've been given his name, we've been given the power of attorney. Now, every lawyer knows what the power of attorney is, where you give somebody else the right, if you are not able to do certain things or are incapacitated, he has the, that person has the right to administer your fears on your behalf with full legal strength, right? So this is incredible. Incredible. You and I have been given because we've been given his name and we've been baptized into his name. We've been given the power of attorney to do deals in the spirit, to extend the father's house and the father's dominion, to bring fame to his name. That's, what we are, that's, that's our authority, church. That's our authority, The name of Jesus is not just something tacked on to the end of a prayer to kind of wind it up and then in the name of Jesus, amen, it's kind of like the the wrapping up of a prayer. If that's all it is, there's no power, there's no revelation in that. But once you have revelation that the, the, the one who went, who went into that tomb, came out of that tomb, was raised from the dead and is seated and is seated on the right hand of the Father who has a name above every name that can be named above every principality and power, once you realize that you've been given his name to minister in and when you minister in that name, it's not just the tack on on the end of a prayer. It's the very authority that you're standing in the earth. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. Try Bob next time and see what happens. (laughs) Even Ian probably won't work. (laughs) But to have real authority, we're intimately connected to that name because the name is the person. And when we speak his name, we're speaking the character and the power of the person. It's not just four letters or five letters. We're speaking the power of the person. why we don't take his name in vain and try and misuse his name. His holy name, all-powerful name, all-precious name, the highest name of the universe, the name in which all things were created and have their being. It's this name that you and I have been given. It's this name that we minister in deliverance. It's this name that we minister in healing because healing is who he is. Deliverance is who he is. He's Jehovah Rapha all the time, the Lord that healeth thee. That's who he is. It's his nature. It's his name. It's his character. It's not something he does on the sideline. It's who he is. So when you minister in his name, you're ministering in who he is in his redemptive grace and power. You can't separate his name from his being where his name is, he is. When God said, I will place my name there, when he's talking about the temple, his presence was there. So when we walk in the presence and power, in the power of his name, we're, we're moving in his presence. See, these are things that as Western people and Gentile people, we we have very poor understanding as I'm trying to break it open a bit to bring some more understanding, at least to try and do something to help us realize how precious and powerful his name is. That's why they wanna remove it from parliamentary prayer. That's why they wanna move it from this. And people can talk about God all they like. But when when you talk about the name of Jesus, when you speak about his name and you pray in his name, and there's revelation in that name, and there's understanding in that name, you become a great threat to darkness because you are moving in his name. (sighs) Culturally, the ring was an emblem of authority, giving giving the son authority to transact business in his father's name. You have spheres of influence. I'm just gonna try and wrap this up the best I can. You've got, pers- you've got a personal sphere of authority. Your first sphere of authority is yourself. Your heart, above all that you guard, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. The first place of authority to, to bring alignment with yourself to the word of God to heaven is your heart. Why forgiving from the heart that Mike will speak about tonight is so important. Because what's in the heart will manifest out of the mouth. What's in the heart will manifest in all sorts of different things that can cause all sorts of problems. Or it can be just the source of incredible blessing. So, your heart the first place you have is authority over your heart. Nobody can force you to forgive, nobody can force you to bless because you have authority of your heart. Right, the second thing, you have authority, we're to grow in authority over our appetites, our sexual appetites, our food appetites, our, our leisure appetites, our, our power with other people appetites. Whatever the appetite is, we are the ones that need to govern them. It's a fruit, it's part of the fruit of the spirit called self-control, okay? so. The, the more internal governance you have, the less external governance you need. Why do we need a police force and a prison system? Because some people are not controlling themselves. The more people control themselves in a way that is a blessing to people, not cursing them and hurting them, the, the less we need external governance. It's internal. So Holy Spirit comes to us and fills us and, and part of the fruit of his presence is it will grow Self control. So we'll be able to express our sexuality appropriately and properly. We'll be able to govern the amount of food we have, you know what I'm saying? We'll be able to uh, control our, our emotions and our reactions to things and actually bring them under governance. Governance. I'm not talking about stifling something that needs to be expressed for the sake of our health, I'm talking about governance. So our first dominion and growing in authority is. Self-control and taking dominion over yourself. The next is to connected with your calling or your live or your responsibility. There will be authority associated with that. There will be and and your mandate. Then there's the one where there's the issue of your sphere of influence in relation to uh, maybe a five-fold ministry, maybe you're local, but then God grows that and, and cause you to become national, and then God grows that, causes it to become international, and over time, that sphere of authority, that sphere of influence is growing from local to international. That's God's doing, and so you don't have to be trying to compare yourself with somebody who has a realm of authority that is particular for them. You don't have to compare yourself with them. You just be you, okay? You just be you, So the last thing I wanna talk about is the fact that how you line up with authority, and Mike's already talked about it. I'll just add a little bit more to it. How you line up with authority, the God-ordained authorities, is really going to be how the authority of God moves through you. Who remembers the story of the centurion in Capernaum that went out to Jesus and said, look, my servant is sick near death. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, "No, no, I'm I'm not worthy that you'd come under my house." In other words, I'm a Gentile; you're a Jew. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm an oppressor. You know, <laughs> I represent those guys. You're not. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. But, Lord, speak the word only. I am, a, and then he says, "I am a man under authority." And I say to this one, "Go," and he goes and does it. I say, "This one, come," and he comes and does it. I am a man under authority, and then he says. Lord, speak the word only, and I know my servant will be healed. Jesus marveled. He marveled. It says he marveled at his faith. There is a very distinct connection between the operation of faith and our understanding of authority and how to flow in a, in a flow of authority because all authority comes from above. Somehow it comes from above. Somebody further up the chain than us, further up the organization from us, further up uh, in in, in the heavenly realm, if you like, than us. It all comes from, all authority comes from a source. And when you line up with that source and you yield your life to that source, then authority can flow. There's plenty of people around trying to take authority over things, but they're actually in rebellion. I wanna tell you, Submit to the God dimensions of authority. Submit to godly authority. Learn how to flow in that. Learn how to fit in that. And you'll find there will be a greater dimension and development of authority through your life to the things that you need to have authority over. Plenty of people want to try and shortcut it, there aren't any shortcuts. Just because something happens in your life because of an anointing that comes in that time doesn't necessarily mean that you've grown an authority and it's actually coming out of the authority in your life. It's come about because of the anointing that was present. But really what God is looking for is for us to be able to position ourselves appropriately wherever we are in the authority flow because when we understand that and we position ourselves there, we will know how the kingdom works. And our faith will be released accordingly. I say to this man, go, and he goes. I say to this demon, go, and he goes. Same thing. And I rec- he recognized that Jesus was, an author- was in an authority flow. Because when he spoke, stuff happened regardless of where it was in the world. So he turned on his on his heels, went back to his home, and a servant had been healed that very moment, that very hour that Jesus spoke those things. So once person connects into a flow of authority, a godly authority, all sorts of possibilities open up. And when we when we understand how authority works and our spirits yield to true and proper authorities, we will actually understand the kingdom of God better and we will operate in greater authority. Let's all stand. How about you link hands across the place? Would that be all right? <clears throat> the person next to you shouldn't have too many on board. <laughs> Father, we just want to thank you for the teaching we've had so far from Mike, and we just want to thank you for it. We just want to thank you now that as people, we are, we are not rebels. We are people who, can, who submit to you. Submit our hearts to you. Submit our lives to you. We're not rebels. Lord, if there is any rebellion in us, I pray over these next few days that, Lord, that would be shifted. Not only attitudinally, but any spirit of rebellion, it would be shifted. Father, we want to be fully yielded to you, fully yielded to Christ, and fully yielded to Holy Spirit. That, Lord, where your word is our joy, so, Father, right now, we break our agreement. I want you to pray with me. In Jesus' name, name, I break all agreement agreement with the spirit of independence and the spirit of rebellion. Lord, let me grow in the understanding of what it is to be yielded to you, to be yielded to your work, to your lordship, and to be in the flow of authority that flows from you. Jesus, open my understanding to who I am in you, what it is that I stand in, the mandate I have from heaven, and the authority that I have in Christ. Lord, I thank you as I submit to you, to your Lordship, the manifestation of that authority will increase day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Be back here by 6.30 at the latest. We're starting at 6.30 tonight.